At Digging Deeper, we want to do everything we possibly can to protect these babies from sickening creatures. We refuse to sit and watch from the bleachers. The ugly truth. Hard to listen to, but impossible to ignore. Here struggled Jennings and his daughter Brianna with a cry for help. And then we'll get started on the ugly truth. That's the sound of freedom with the story of Tim Ballard, the CIA agent that quit his job and his, left his pension and his career in the dust for a job in, for a volunteer job in rescuing trafficked children in foreign countries. Mm -hmm. It's an unbelievable story. His part is played by Jim Caviezel, an amazing actor, and if you didn't know this, was such an incredible athlete back when he was younger that he could compete with the Michael Jordan caliber. He was an amazing athlete, an amazing man, Jim Caviezel, the one who was Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. Wow, we are in for a treat tonight. We are going to listen to a podcast directly from Operation Underground and it's going to be excuse me Operation Underground Railroad and it's going to be a podcast on what they're doing with the mission that they have but remember that movie Sound of Freedom is coming out and will be out very soon in theaters near you and in some of them by tomorrow so we go back to the police and deliver the intel and um, they say, okay, go in and buy a kid. And there's this amazing footage of this, right, where I, we walk in, and I, I don't think it matters. It's going to buy any kid. And I walk in, and right as I'm looking for a kid to buy, this little boy just turns around. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like an angel whisper, turn around. That's what it looks like. He just goes, about face. And then walks up to me and puts his arms up. Yeah, that was Kolei, right? Yeah, and that's Kolei, my son. So I pick him up, and I'm like, well, I guess God's telling me this is the kid we're going to use in the sting operation. Hey, guys, Tim Ballard here. This is In the Trenches. These are the stories of Operation Underground Railroad, our successes, our challenges, our operations. And if you want to donate to make sure that we can continue to make these stories by doing real rescue operations, please go to OURrescue.org and help us out. Thanks so much. Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of In the Trenches. 
We want to bring you into our operations, into the narrative that is the story of OUR, uh, how we were built, what we do, how we have grown, how we approach the problem of modern-day slavery and child slavery and human trafficking. And, and uh, we're just really excited to kick it off. And the very first uh, episode, I brought this guy. His name is Matt Cooper. Matt Cooper uh, is employee number one, first guy that we hired. I'm going to let Matt Cooper just tell you what his uh, impressions are. We're coming at 10 years. Can you believe that? One day you get a phone call from me, a crazy phone call, just kind of out of the blue, right? We met because I was your professor. All right. Crazy. Tell me about that, when, how we met and how you ended up being the first employee. And when you, get, you, you got that crazy phone call like, hey, you want to quit everything and start something with me? <laughs> oh, what was that? Maybe 2011 or 12. Uh, we were down in the uh, Imperial Valley, kind of the southeast corner of California, sort of the armpit of California. Tim was an agent down there uh, on the border. It's where I grew up, actually. So um, at night, he was a professor at Imperial Valley College. I took a course from him. I just got married and and um, took a course. And uh, it was international relationships. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so um, international politics. And at the same time, you were, you were working on some books. And I think we connected over that. And I was already looking at, because I had some things that kept me out of the military, some medical history, I was looking at law enforcement career. So I was really curious to learn about everything you were doing. You're like, yeah, man, it's a really cool job. I kick in doors and carry guns. And, you know, I was like, no, I mean, look at my shirt. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I wanted to hear. That's what I want to do. I became interested in that. And, uh, yeah, our friendship just kind of, you just kind of kept giving me things to do. And then uh, maybe like two years later, um, I get a call and, you say, I, I think I can hire you for a year. And uh, I said, uh, Well, at least oh, a year. Yeah, like at least a year. I'm like, Oh, all right, moving to Utah. So just packed up a trailer, dropped out of school, and uh, moved to Utah. And then it's now, now it's been 10 years. So we keep renewing every year. I go back to that, and like, I honestly often think, What, what was I thinking? Like, there, there was no model, I, 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 there was no manual. Like, how do you really privatize? Like the rescue operation, that the way I see it, the way I knew it would work, based on my, you know, over ten years working these kind of cases, um, and just being stopped and blocked so often because of bureaucracy or jurisdictional limitations, you know, and just watching kids fall through the cracks because of just the the nature of how governments operate. This, you know, human trafficking is so transnational. Mm-hmm. You, in, but there's, it knows no borders and boundaries, but unfortunately, politics and bureaucracy, those things do know borders and boundaries, right. and they stop you. And so, uh, but I, it was crazy because it was like, I don't, how do I do this? How do I run a business? How do I bring in money to do this thing? You know, I pitched the idea to, to, to Glenn Beck. We raised like half a million or something. And then it was like, oh my gosh, we got to, I have to quit now. And that's not very much money. Right. And I, and I was like, who do I, I have to, I have to have somebody, like I can't just do everything alone. You know, I need someone to collect the receipts and keep them in a trash bag, mm-hmm. which is what you did. And you're like, yeah, I'll come up. No, you don't. You just like roll in with your family. Yeah. And like, we had a little barn our neighbor let us use. And we're just like, okay, now what? Like, I don't know. I just, well, keep all the receipts. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure we're probably going to need them. And... Do you remember what the first thing we, I mean, obviously all we know is we got to go rescue. So what, what do you remember? Like what was the first 
move we made? What was the first flight we got on, and what did we do? Like, how did we start? Yeah, I, I think I, I remember the first tickets that I booked for for a team, and at the time I was helping mostly logistically. Um, we kind of did like a three country. I think you went down to like El Salvador. You went to visit Batman, and then I think you jumped over to Columbia. You think you said hi to them, and then you went over to Haiti. Um, and started getting things going on that you were, you were like, you were like getting cases going in those three countries. Like, Hey, Batman, Hey, Cartagena. That's where triple take ultimately happened. And then you went over to Haiti and, uh, remember you called me cause there were some hiccups logistically and chewed me out or whatever. I don't know. Speed PTSD from those days. I've forgotten about it, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have never have done that. It was stressful. Yeah, it was stressful. Cause yeah. like what? But we had, you know, we had specific leads that were carryovers from my cases in the government, in in both Haiti and in right. Colombia, mm -hmm. right? And um, it was like, I, let's pick up where we left off. But will they still let us in? I don't have a badge anymore. Will they still allow us to do this? And we had enough money to do two operations probably, and then it was over. That's what was so scary, because if we right. weren't successful on those ops, it's done. Who's going to keep giving us money? Like that was crazy risky. But I just knew we knew it was the right thing to do. Both those operations, we, let's get into those in a second, but I want to fast forward because once those were crazy successful, the Haiti operation on February 19th, that was our first rescue. We, we, we launched off in like middle, like early December 2013. By February 19th, we had our first rescue of 26 kids. And then two of those kids, we ended up, I ended up adopting, right? Right. And then the next operation from there, we went to, we were in Dominican Republic. And in Colombia, mm -hmm. and that yielded the the Colombia operation, which is in a documentary called Triple Take. That was over 120 rescues. Um, 15 traffickers arrested. All that happened in a span of like the operation itself was like an hour and a half or something. We were doing three cities at once. Becomes an Emmy-winning documentary, <laughs> and becomes a feature film. They're the basis for the feature film Center of Freedom. Isn't that crazy? Those that first operations. And then the first one in Haiti was, I mean, that was a documentary too called Operation Toussaint. Yeah, let's take a second to reflect back on that. That was 15 different traffickers that were arrested in that span right there just in the Columbia. And we have that trailer from the Sound of Freedom that will just, it's the two minute short trailer to give you an idea of what that looked like. And this is the movie that's coming out. fastest-growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. It has already passed the illegal arms trade, and soon it's going to pass the drug trade. Senor Timoteo, tu rescatamiento es verdad. Quizá puedas ayudarme a encontrar a mi hermana. Walking into a room right now, seeing an empty bed. What will we do? Children 
Homeland Security, you know we can't go off rescuing kids in Colombia. This job tears you to pieces. This is my one chance to put those pieces back together. We're talking about extracting a million-year-old girl from an army of rebels. Not just her. I'm talking about rescuing hundreds of kids. She could be a block down the road, or she could be in Moscow, Bangkok, L.A. Two million children a year are being sucked into the deepest recesses of hell. We do nothing. Someday it's going to reach the likes of you. What if this was your daughter? Yeah, that's the cold, hard truth, but they were, that was the Columbia mission, and now they were talking about Operation Toussaint, so we'll get back to that now. Isn't it crazy, our first two stories, it's like God blessed us with like all the elements to make sure that it was like something successful and something people might want to look at, because not every operation comes off like that. Right. And it, it really was a blessing, right? It was a blessing, yeah. But those two operations, I want, I'm want. i going to go back in a second. Have you Give me your thoughts on what it was like. Because things are so different now, right? We're much, we have 150 employees. Uh, we have offices all over. We have MOUs. We have contracts. We have firewalls everywhere. But this is just like two guys building a team to go do a rescue, right? Mm -hmm. And we were just back in Cartagena, what, a month ago? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or maybe like three weeks ago, maybe, whatever. But we were back testifying on that case when those two cases popped they were so like impressive and cbs news picked it up and you know it was like whoa what happened and all of a sudden people started thinking oh you are must be some established like in a sky rise uh, like remember and it was oh, yeah, like yeah. no it's just us i know and and you know i remember you told me the story once you were after a long day in haiti because we all these donors started coming in, we're like, "What do we do?" The trash bag kept getting bigger and bigger of receipts. It was, about, it was about seven trash bags. Yeah, I was like, "What do we do with these receipts?" Like, we should probably like call an accountant or something. Like, we <laughs> I had them, I had them organized in the bags. Okay, they were like rubber bands around. This is Columbia but, trash bag, and this is Dominican <laughs> trash bag. No, it worked out. Like the accountant said, "No, it's fine. You, you organize it well enough." But what's interesting is people have said, well, "I can't. How dare you call this Operation Underground Railroad?" How would you respond right now to that? Because they somehow, I don't, I don't get it. I also have been told, how dare you adopt two children who are black? Hmm? Right. Like, you know, sometimes people just like to hate. They just want to hate on things. They, they love to give glory to the things they hate. We just don't get it. What? what I, I don't understand. I, they're children. Right, I know. But how do you respond to that today? I mean, we're honored to use the methods that they invented, you know, 150, 170 years ago and to call ourselves after their names because people ask like, oh, man, I'm just a little civilian. You know, what can I do? Well, what did they do? You know, they were just regular people like you and me. And they came up with a solution. They called themselves the Underground Railroad. Yeah, I mean, the, the Underground Railroad, one of the most beautiful things about the original Underground Railroad 
is that it, it, in a time of horrific, you know, bloody racism, right, that you never even, you couldn't even imagine, like led to, to, you know, to the Civil War and so many other things, so much violence. But it was during that time that a group of people of all races, the Underground Railroad is made up of black people, white people, German Americans, Mexican Americans. There was a, there was a route into Mexico. That's something that should be like praised and, and how great it is that we're trying to pay homage to that because we need that today, right? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I love that name. I'll stand by that name because I stand by the original Underground Railroad. I asked somebody once who was attacking me about this. I said, if Frederick Douglass were here right now, right now he's talking, and I said, Mr. Douglass, is it okay that I invoke your name and your memory and, and all the good you did? Can I use that in, 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 as inspiration, even instruction, to rescue children who are being raped for money? And the person said to me, he would say, absolutely not. You can only use my name if you want to help just black people. Interesting. And that, that led to another conversation with, uh, with somebody took offense at the fact that there was a picture of me. I remember this. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. You were there holding a black boy on my knee who was being rescued. That was literally the rescue moment. And someone snapped. Mark Mabry was in the car and snapped an undercover picture of it. And I said, what's, what's, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Right. She's like, it's white savior complex. That's only something people care about that sit around in conference rooms that are nice and air conditioned in the United States. Like, nobody in Haiti cares what color you are, if you can help them. Do, do you think that kid cared? Like, oh, you know what? Can you bring someone who looks more like me to come rescue me? Right. Or do you think a white kid would be like, oh, I, I only want to be rescued by white people. The conversation was interesting because I pursued the, the line of questioning with this person, right? If you remember, and I said, what would you have me do? We have intel on children in Haiti. We also have intel on children in the U.S. And in Mexico and in Europe and all over the world. But this case was in Haiti. That's where the intel came. We went down there and rescued these children, 26 of them. And by the way, the kid on my lap is my son. So that should be a little awkward for you. Uh-uh. And she was like, mm-hmm. and, and I said, should I, what should I do about my Christmas card? Should I blur their faces out? Would that be good for them? Should I not work in Haiti? So should we have a policy that says, OUR can only work in countries where white children will be rescued? Well, no, that would be super racist. Oh, yeah, that would be, right? They don't, see, they don't even think it through. It's not, a, it's not even about rescue anymore. It's about who can be offended the most or something and yeah. play some virtue card. And, and I said, well, then what? I said, well, then don't talk about it. Don't market the stories where you're saving children of color. I said, that doesn't seem right. And I said to her, have you heard of Elizabeth Smart? She's like, yeah, of course. Okay. Is what happened to Elizabeth, and this person's in the anti-trafficking world, is what happened to Elizabeth Smart something that is unusual? Or is it pretty common? Happens every day all throughout the world. Yeah. All those people, all those kids all over the world don't get their faces put on Time Magazine and People Magazine and have every news outlet talking about how they were just abducted, do they? Well, no. How come Elizabeth got that? Well, because she was a little white girl in Salt Lake City. I said, exactly. And what you just told me was to follow that pattern. Hmm. You just told me that I should only tell the stories of the white kids. Do you think the media helped? Absolutely. Someone saw and said, is that that girl? They all were talking about her. I helped her get rescued. So you want me to go to my friends in Haiti and my friends in Colombia and Mexico and anywhere else where there might be children of color and tell them, hey, sorry, I can't tell the good work you're doing. 
I can't talk about the cases you need to talk about because someone might be offended if a white person is helping a person of color. And that's going to do it for The Ugly Truth. Hard to listen to, but impossible to ignore. Music is Fervor by Aberrant Music Group.